Good morning. It's great to have you with us today here at Free Church. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm pastor here of Free Church, and I'm going to lead us in a, a word of prayer um, today. This this New Year's uh, Sunday, we didn't gather here uh, last Sunday morning, but we gathered at the Ike Box last Sunday evening and had a powerful time of worship and the Word, uh, ministering to one another. And I'm excited to see what the Lord has in store for us, not only today and this month, uh, but the year as well. So uh, join me in prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you, God, for this time of worship through singing. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to celebrate you, to learn more about you. God, we thank you for um, the baptisms that we get to celebrate later this morning, God. And we pray for the week and the year ahead that this would be a fruitful season for us, an obedient season for us, God, and a season where you would lead us closer to you. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, welcome again. I got a, just a couple announcements I want to give and some directions uh, to give before uh, we get into our message today. Uh, I was thinking about, as I was preparing to come up and, and share some things with you, um, that some of you are, are really strange in the past, and, and you like were really into soap operas. How many of you have been super into soap operas before? I don't like in, in English. I don't even know if soap operas are still a thing, uh, but I know that um, on uh, in, in uh, Spanish they're a big deal. Um, soap operas are. And the thing about soap operas, because I'm such a big soap opera fan, is these soap operas will go on sometimes for decades, and you ask yourself, because I know all of you are very interested in soap operas, you ask yourself, um, when is a good time to catch up? Like, how, how can I get into this soap opera that's been on for decades if, uh, if I don't know anything about what's going on? Here, let me tell you a little secret. You don't have to know much. You can just jump in. You're going to get familiar real quick what's going on with soap operas. Uh, some of you, it's not soap operas, but it's, it's The Simpsons, right? Like, that's one of the classier shows, much more so than, than soap operas. But it might be, you know, The, the Simpsons has been on for decades. It, it's the, the longest-running sitcom in history. And so how do you jump into The Simpsons when it's been going on so long? Let me tell you a secret. You don't, you don't have to know a lot about what happened uh, with Bart 30 years ago. He, he never even aged a day. And so you, you can jump in right away. And then for those who are cool, for those who, who are into really good things, comic books. You know, when, when do I jump into comic books? The, the X-Men have been around since the 1960s. How do I know when to jump in? Um, but you just pick up a book and start reading, and you will fit in just fine. And the reason I shared that is because that's what church is like. Um, you may be here attending church because it's a new year and you've resolved to be a part of church and community this year. And you might think, you know, I've never been around church or I've been away from church for 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years. I, I don't know much about the Bible or Christianity. How can I jump into church? I'm not allowed to go to church unless I know everything that everyone else knows. That's not the case at all. You're always welcome. You're always welcome in the body of Christ. You're always welcome in the community of faith. And so whether you are exploring the idea of church, maybe exploring the idea of, of faith in Jesus Christ, um, this is a place where you will hear God's word. You will experience worship. Uh, there are people in the church and in this church who've been Christians for over 70 years. And there's people here that don't know Jesus yet. And there's people here who met Jesus last week. And I want you to know we are all standing on equal ground in Christ. 
And in Christ alone, that's the only place our hope is found. And so there isn't hierarchy. Um, there isn't people that are better than other people. There are people that are desperate and in need of Jesus Christ, and that's me. And, and I think that's you as well. And so I want you to know you're, you're welcome here. And, and there isn't like, there isn't a jumping in point of church where you know you're going to be caught up. You can jump in anytime. But New Year's is a really, really great time to do that. And so I feel so much optimism about this year. And it just, when I woke up this morning, it just felt fresh, new, different. And so I, I hope that things are fresh, new, and different for you this year also. A couple announcements with that being said. Um, on February the 5th, so the first Sunday of February, we're going to be going back to our normal church service times. And so we're going to have a service starting February 5th at 9 a.m. and then 11 a.m. Both services are exactly the same, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, we need space um, to be able to grow, and we need to be able to reach people that can only come at a particular time. The only thing we're changing about these service times that we, we had back before Christmas is that we are going to be moving our kids' program to 11 a.m. It used to be at 9 a.m. Our kids' program will be at 11. Um, however, we are going to have nursery during our 9 a.m. service. So we'll have nursery uh, for those three months to two years at our 9 a.m. service. And then we'll have kids' programs from three months to fifth grade at our 11 a.m. service. Besides that, everything else is staying the same. And as Elaine mentioned, uh, we do have our downtown services as well, and those are on the first Sunday of the month, so that will also be February the 5th. And we want to launch um, this new schedule really big on February the 5th, and so we're going to be serving breakfast um, on February the 5th. We're going to be serving lunch on February 5th for those who come to the 11. We'll have some surprises for you that day. And then we're going to have just an amazing celebration that evening at the Ike Box in downtown Salem. And we plan to launch that location weekly at some point this year. And so um, pray for us as we want to reach more people for Jesus um, as we move forward. So Last thing I'll mention is if you are wondering, how, how can I learn more about Jesus? How can I learn about what it means to go to church or to be a Christian? We are starting what we call our, our freeway classes. Those start next Monday, January the 15th. So next Monday, January the 15th, we have a class at 6.30 p.m. called Foundations of the Faith, and that's just looking at what Christians believe. If you've never taken a freeway class before, we do require that you start at foundations. And you might say, well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I know the foundations. Uh, I attended Nathan's class um, last semester, and I learned things I didn't know. So everybody has opportunity to learn and to grow. And if you've completed the foundations class, then we start our new class this semester called Spiritual Disciplines. And that's what do you do as a Christian to grow in your faith? And so we invite you to come to those classes. You can register on our website. You can register on our app to attend. They're free. And um, they take about an hour and a half. It's just a good time of being taught, learning, discussion, questions, answers, things like that. I really enjoyed it. Our interns enjoyed it. And I'm excited for you to take part as well. So please um, jump into that. That is our growth track. Um, next semester, we're going to have a worldview class, and then we're offering mentorships and discipleship for people in our church who'd like to go even deeper than that. So with all that being said, we're going to start a new series um, that we have um, for the month of January, and that's just simply called The Church, just the idea of like, what on earth is church? 
Um, some of you who may have grown up in the church, in particular, like prior to the year 1990, there was this, this thing that, that I saw Christians doing, uh, and it was this. And I'm not very coordinated, so I'll probably do it wrong. Um, but it was this. It was, um, this is the church, and this is the steeple. Do you, do you ever do that when you were younger or see that when you were younger? This is the church. This is the steeple. And then it went like this. Open the door and see all the people. Why are the people wiggling around like worms? I'm going to give you the end of my message at the beginning. This is wrong. You were taught, we were taught, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the door, and here's all the people. That is not true. Here's what's true. This is the church. This is the church. This is a building. And this is a steeple. The church is not a building. The church is not a pastor. It's not a church service. The church is not a denomination. It's not a worship style. It's not how much money you give. It's not a certain way of praying. It's not a certain way of singing. The church is the people. And so we're going to talk about what church is today. What, what are we talking about when we talk about church? And as a result of that, in American culture, when we ask people to define church, and when we think about church, oftentimes the word church is actually a traumatizing word. Um, the word church oftentimes has many negative connotations and stereotypes. But for some of you, the word church actually brings up nostalgia, brings up good memories. Um, some right now, maybe it's not a memory, but some are currently and actively engaged in the church, and they enjoy being involved in the church. And so when you think of the word church, this is a rhetorical question. Don't start shouting answers back. It gets confusing. What do you think of when you think of the word church? Uh, for me, I remember songs. I grew up singing hymns and, and old praise songs of the 20th century, and for some reason, all this week, there's been this, this old song that's not technically a hymn, and I won't sing it, because I will spare you, but the lyrics were just, the wind is blowing again, the wind is blowing again, just like the day of Pentecost, the wind is blowing again. How many of you are old enough to remember that song? And so I, that, that's a song that's been on my mind all week, one, because it's been windy, and two, I think it's true, the wind is blowing again. Um, for some, you remember Sunday school? You remember friends that you made at church? You remember sermons that you may have heard? Many of you remember encounters with the Holy Spirit. Many of you remember youth group shenanigans that you hope no one finds out about. But I also remember people being helped through very difficult times. I happen to be a pastor, and even as a pastor... And as someone who grew up in the church, even myself, sometimes I have negative connotations arise when I think of church due to personal experiences. Sometimes I think of people who've hurt me, people who've hurt my family, people who've hurt others. Sometimes I think about strange things that happen in churches. Sometimes I think about leaders who let me down. Sometimes I think about people who were judgmental who got into business they didn't belong in and wanted the world to know about that business. The reason for those things, the reason for these negative connotations, and there's really one reason, the reason is people are involved. 
And wherever people are involved, we as people bring problems. People are messy. I am messy. There's people involved, but here's one thing I have learned, and I know it's cliche, but it's so true. While people have let me down so many times, God has never let me down. God will never let me down, though people have. And yet, I'm in this awkward position of being a pastor, and I've got to recognize that there's things I've done, there's decisions I've made, sometimes good decisions, sometimes not, sometimes foolish, that have caused people to have a lower view of the church. People to have a lower view of pastors or, tragically, even God. I was doing research for this message with my son this week, and um, we have some of our pastors speaking over the next couple of weeks and sent them some research that was really eye-opening. But two things that stood out to me, there was a recent Gallup poll that was done just right after covid And it said only 37% of Americans have some kind of trust for the church. When they think of church or the idea of church, only 37% of Americans would say that they trust the church. 39% of Americans say they have somewhat of a favorable view of pastors. Um, Some of you here are pastors. And uh, yesterday, I went into a, a new barber shop because my barber has been out of commission for a while, and, and I had to ask my wife before I went, and I said, who do I want to be when I sit in that barber chair? Because as a pastor, uh, Dwayne knows this. Dwayne would probably do it a little differently than I do sometimes. He's a little bit more bold, but sometimes people are like, well, what do you do? And Dwayne, I know you'd say I'm about my father's business, but that opens up some ugly cans of worms sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, you're a pastor? Well, I don't want to talk to you the rest of the time. And so you got to decide, like, how can I be light wherever I go? As a Christian, how can you be a light wherever you go? How can you allow people to encounter God in ways that are not going to get in the way? So we've so tied our definition of the word of church to how people act, to negative experiences that we've had with, with clergy or leaders or with the church, even our own rebellion against God, and I think that's what it usually is. Our own rebellion of God taints our idea of how we see church. But what is church? What are we talking about when we talk about church? What does it mean to go to church? And can you even go to church? And is church even a place? The answer to that actually is no. What what are we talking about here? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what church is. And I'm going to hit you today with a couple of, of things I want you to hold on to and think about over the next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the value of engaging in church community. But today, I just want to talk about what is church. And so if I could have you do me all a favor now as we just kind of dig in for the next few moments. If you could put your phone away. If you could have a seat, limit moving around. If your kids are making noise, that's totally cool. We expect kids to make noise. But uh, focus in for a minute because I don't want you to lose out on something today that God has for you. So Matthew chapter 16. Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his 12 disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, some people say you're this, some people say you're that, some people say this, some people say that. And Jesus says, this is the most important question you could ever answer, by the way. He says, who do you say I am? Jesus asks us this morning, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the disciple, the stupid one, 
the one that talks too much, the one who sometimes says great things and sometimes says ridiculous things, Peter answers Jesus' question for the group, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter was saying is, You are the Messiah we've been waiting for to save people from their sins, and you are equal and worthy of worship just as God is. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, You're right. He said, Blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, that's his given name. He says, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You couldn't have thought of this on your own, Peter. You're too dumb. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, has revealed this to you. And then he says something really strange. He says, you are Peter, after he calls him his given name. Simon meant kind of one who was wavy or, or shifting. He says, now you are Peter, a new name. A new name that Jesus designates for Simon. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, we could talk about this for weeks, but the bottom line is that the name Peter means rock. Specifically, it meant a little rock. So he says, Peter, you're a little rock. But on this rock, I will build my church. The rock that Jesus is talking about is the answer that Peter gave. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, that is the rock that I will build my church on. Some people think that Peter is the rock that Jesus would build his church on. That is partially true. But the ultimate meaning of Jesus here is on the foundation that I am the anointed, sent, chosen, holy Messiah, the, the Son of God who comes to wash away the sins of the world. Because I am the Son of God, because you've declared that I'm going to build a church on that. And that church that I will build, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Amen. Now, there's a lot going on in this verse. But the reason I am reading it to you today is that this word church, uh, it's written, Matthew writes his gospel in Greek. And the word for church in Greek is this word ekklesia. And the word church never appears in the Bible until the beginning of the New Testament, towards the very end of the entirety of the Bible, the word church never appears until Matthew 16. The first person to say the word church in the Bible is Jesus himself, and he says, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. And this word in Greek, here's what it means, because this is, this is crucial for you to know what this is today. The word ecclesia, it literally means the called out ones. An ecclesia are those who are called out. In a Roman, in a Greek sense, this word ecclesia, it was a gathering of citizens who were called out of their homes into a public place or a public assembly. This idea of an ecclesia in Roman society, it was an assembly dedicating to discussing Roman matters where Caesar was seen as Lord. 
Did you know that in Rome, people actually declared Caesar is Lord? Do you know on their money, our money says in God we trust, for now it does. We don't believe that as a nation, but that's what our money says. On Roman money, it said Caesar is Lord. That's why Jesus said, give to Caesar what Caesar's. And so this ecclesia was this political gathering, this political assembly that met about the business of the Roman system who would declare that Caesar is Lord. They were called out of their homes. They were assembled together in one place to be in one accord over the business of Caesar. And you've got to understand why Jesus was killed. Jesus comes along and he says, I'm building a new kind of ecclesia. Not one in which Caesar is Lord, but one in which Jesus is Lord. And this ecclesia will be built on a rock. This ecclesia will be built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And in Rome, Caesar was Lord in their ecclesias, but in this new Jesus ecclesia, Jesus is Lord. And the church that Jesus was building, it wasn't just called out of their homes and called into assembly, but it was actually called out, it was assembled in order to be sent out. And so the traditional definition of ecclesia is to be called out, but Jesus flips it on its side and kind of changes the definition of ecclesia instead to be sent out. And they would go. They would be sent out. And Jesus says, as you go, and as you are sent out into the Roman Greek pagan understanding of society, as the new ecclesia goes, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against what we will do together. And you may have been taught that, wow, as Christians and as the church, we need to build up gates and walls around ourselves so the big bad devil doesn't come in and mess things up. But we misunderstand that it's not the devil who is coming at us, which he does. It's, it's us, the church, who are supposed to be going toward darkness, towards the enemy, towards the devil and his forces. And when we go in the power and the name of Jesus Christ, the gates that hell is building in defense against the church will not be able to stand. And so what would this ecclesia be sent to do? How would they go? Where would they go? What would their mission be? And we find this out in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus has already died for the sins of the world. He's been buried. On the third day, he rose from the grave. And he gathers about 500 of his followers on a hillside in Galilee and he calls them to assemble here, and he gives them their marching orders. Jesus tells them where they're going to go. Jesus says where they would run into the gates of hell. Jesus tells them why they are to exist. And he commissions them with these words in Matthew 28, verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, go. Therefore, church, go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach people to obey everything I have commanded you. And he said, and if you're concerned about this, 
don't worry because I will be with you until the very end of the age. So Jesus is the head, not Caesar. Jesus commands and commissions the ecclesia that he's building to go to make disciples, to share the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one goes before God except but through Jesus. And he invites people to share this way of salvation, to share this news of salvation through Jesus that would be received to anyone who would follow him, to anyone who would become his disciples. And he commands them, baptize them. I'm going to call them out. I'm going to assemble them. They'll hear my word and then baptize them in water. And then you go and you teach the nations about all I have spoken. And so about a week or so later, after he gives this command, he goes back towards Jerusalem to the top of another hill, the Mount of Olives. But now there's only 120 people who still follow after his resurrection. And as those 120 look on, he ascends to the Father in heaven, where he is now, where we await his return. And he tells them this as he is ascending. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He's speaking to the gathered ones, to the called out ones, to the sent ones, to the ecclesia, to the church, to you and I. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very end of the earth. So the mission that the church is called out to, the mission that the church is sent out on to accomplish, it could not be accomplished on their own. Jesus only chose the church to partner with him in its building. He doesn't need us, but he chose us to be a partner in the building of this church. He is building on the foundation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But he would need to empower them for that task. And that power would come from the Father as Jesus would ask for it. And the Father would send the Spirit and the Spirit would dwell in the church just as Jesus dwelt with the church. And so he ascends and he says, you wait here in Jerusalem until I send the power, until I send the Spirit. You wait. And on the day of Pentecost, a Jewish festival day, there was only 120 people in the Christian church. The very first church was 120 people. 120 people amongst Millions throughout the planet are here representing Jesus on top of Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem in an upper room, gathered, waiting for the Spirit to come. They don't know what it's going to look like, but they're waiting for him. So he calls them out. He assembles them. He sends them out. He promises the Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the building of the church on the foundations that Jesus had laid began. They started to build. So pastor, when did the church officially begin? It began on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. That structure began to be built on the foundation that Christ himself laid. And the reason it started to be built is because the spirit was poured out on those who had been called out. And because the spirit had been poured out, they were then sent out to call others out to assemble, to hear about Jesus and be sent out themselves. 
So in Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were assembled. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The wind is blowing again. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So 120 Christians, a church of 120 who had not scattered upon the death of Jesus and his resurrection, they were gathered, they received, and on that day, they were birthed into the church. They were people saved and set free by the completed life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in Genesis chapter 1, God himself breathes the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. And Adam becomes a living being on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit breathes. That word spirit and breath, it's the same, pneuma. The Holy Spirit breathes the breath of his presence and power into the nostrils of the church. And she became a living body. And this is how we wrap up this idea today. So the church is built by Jesus, built on his foundation, sent out to make disciples, empowered by the Spirit to do that. And when the Spirit empowered the church, the church became a living body. And that's why throughout the New Testament, the church is actually called the body of Christ. This is a name that would be given to us, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes to the church and he says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the same spirit. He says in verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of the body. How many of you are wondering, what part of the body am I? How many of you think, like, you'd be, you're, you're just happy to be the little toenail on the left foot? I'd be thrilled as long as I'm a part of the body. How many of you would be stoked if you were just the uvula? Like, what is that, Pastor? It's that, that thing that dangles on the back of your throat. Um, look in the mirror. If you don't have one, call your doctor. Um, some of you would just be thrilled to be the spleen. What does the spleen do? I don't know, but it's a part of the body. We're all a part of the body of Christ, meaning we are his representatives on the earth. That should be terrifying, sobering, humbling. You and me, if we say we belong to Jesus Christ, we represent Jesus in the barber chair. We represent Jesus in the fast lane on I-5 trying to get around the Rose Quarter to make our way up to the airport. That's not really a good route to take, but oh well. We represent him everywhere we go. You represent 
Jesus at your desk at school tomorrow. You represent Jesus in the hallways as you're walking to your locker. You represent Jesus as you're playing golf tomorrow. It's maybe, we're not golf type of people here at Free Church. If, if that's you, teach some of us. This sounds like an interesting game I've heard of before. Um, we represent Jesus wherever we go. You say, Pastor, am I the, am I the body of Christ? And is, is my body the temple of the Holy Spirit? And I would say, yeah. But in America, we get this a little messed up. We focus so much about being the temple of the Holy Spirit, about our individual filling that we have received from the Holy Spirit, that sometimes we forget that collectively together we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the context where that's used in Scripture, it's actually talking about the body of Christ as a whole. And so, yes, you and I as Christians have the Spirit living within us, but we also have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so when we gather like this, it's actually very special. It's actually very powerful because the toenail on the little toe of the left foot comes together with the ring finger on our right hand. We become a body. We start to work and gel together. And because there's people involved, problems start to bubble up. But so it is in my own body. How many of you got problems in your body? But the body of Christ is united not by whether or not we like country music or not, which we shouldn't. (laughs) The body of Christ is not combined over whether you think Qdoba or Chipotle is better. The body of Christ is not about those things. Democrat, Republican, it's just, no, just get rid of it. We're, we're about Jesus. We're united not by what we're into, but we're united by who's in us. That's the spirit. So you might eat different, dress different, listen to really bad music, all those things. But that's not what unites us together. We're united in Christ. And so each of us are members who do his work. Each of us are members who build each other up under the direction of our head who is Christ. This verse here, Ephesians 4, Paul says, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. We are to grow up into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, Jesus, the head, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what the church is supposed to be. You might have problems, and I've got a lot of problems, and we're called to build each other up in love. We're called to support each other. We're called to help each other. We're called to be a hospital for those who are in need, and we're called to be doctors to help those in the hospital, both and. In the church, you're the doctor and the patient. And Jesus is the great physician. And he's working on us. He's changing us. He's equipping us. He's making us holy. And speaking of being made holy, not only is Jesus the head of his body, the church, he's like a husband the head over his bride, the church. The church is the body of Christ. And the church is the bride of Christ. How many of you woke up today feeling like a bride? I don't know. Like, what is it? What? No, I, 
I'm a guy. What do you mean? The church is the bride of Christ. This is a theme introduced by Jesus himself in his parables, in his teachings, that he is the groom who comes for his bride. The book of Revelation, pretty much a wedding story. If you read the Bible in the view of a wedding, the whole Bible is kind of a wedding story. The book of Revelation, Christ is the groom who returns to receive his bride, the church. In the book of Revelation, the church and the new city of Jerusalem is prepared by God through the Spirit as a bride prepared to be holy before her groom. I'll read one more passage, Ephesians 5. Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, body and bride. He himself is its Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy. And without blemish. Recap. The church being built by Jesus on the foundation of Jesus, sent out on the mission of Jesus, empowered by Jesus through the Spirit. Because of that, the church is the body of Christ and the church is the bride of Christ. And I want to introduce to you our problem. We've got a lot of problems, but here's one of the problems. Because of our definition of church, based off of bad experiences with people in the church, you and I say things like this. I'm all for Jesus, but I'm just not into church. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I just, I'm not a church person. How many of you have thought or said this before? I have. This is a common theme. But please listen in love. If you are a Christian, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ, whether you admit it or not. And we all need the members of the body working together in order for it to flourish. We need the body working together in order for you to flourish. You are a part of the body of Christ. You have a part to play in the body of Christ. You are wanted and needed in the body of Christ. You are a valuable part in the body of Christ. And you need the other parts. And as a part of the body, which you are, 
you cannot say that you hate the body. You cannot commit to Jesus and neglect, reject, and hate his body. Those who love Jesus love his body. Those who love Jesus are a part of his body. With all of our scars, with all of our troubles, with all of our hang-ups, we need it desperately. And you might think, well, I'm nobody. I, I don't ever desire to be a pastor or a worship leader or a youth pastor. That's a problem with our culture, too. We've elevated these positions as if somehow, like, they're the head of the church. It's not Jesus's. Jesus is the head of the church. And the people that encourage me in the church, as I've been involved in the church throughout my entire life, the people that encourage me, yeah, it's the pastor, yes, it's the worship leader, yes, it's the youth pastor, but it's usually the unsung heroes that encourage me the most. The ones that don't like to be in the spotlight. The ones who enjoy working behind the scenes. The ones who are content with being whatever part you might think is insignificant. And if I just want to give a shout out today to the unsung heroes. To those of you in the church who pray for the body of Christ, oh man, you are so valuable. For those of you who give an encouraging word to a young mother as she walks through the doors of a church for the first time, even though you're not on the greeting team, you're one of the most important people in the church. It's the unsung heroes. It's the ones who are the most humble, the most meek, the most behind the scenes, who love and care. And and if anybody ever strives for position or strives for notoriety, they're going to be humbled real quick. Humble yourself, and God will lift you up. If you love Jesus, you love his bride. You have to be with his bride. Because you are his bride. Just as the rest of the body you're a part of, so too are you a part of the bride of Christ. John 13, Jesus says, People will know that you are Christians by your love. And we misinterpret that and we take it out of context and say, Yes, people will know we're Christians by how we love the unsaved world. People will know we are Christians by how we treat those who treat God poorly. And that is true. But that's not what Jesus actually says. Jesus said people will know that you are Christians by the love that you have for one another. The love that exists, that is supposed to exist within the body of Christ, within the the bride of Christ, within the church, that is supposed to be one of, if not our greatest testimony. It's how we take care of each other. It's how we love each other. How will someone, how will anyone know we are Christians? How can we know if we ourselves are truly walking and living the Christian life if we don't have love for our own body? If we don't have love for our fellow bride? You see, I can't go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're cool. I'm down with you. I, I, I want to hang with you. But I really don't like your wife. And I really, 
Jesus, whenever I'm around just me and you because I'm all about being selfish, can you just get rid of your wife for a while and then I come and hang out? How many husbands, you would think that was cool if somebody's like, hey, hey, buddy, we're friends, but I really don't like your wife. Well, her and I are a team. So you get me, you get the team, and if you don't like the team, you don't get me. That's how we treat Jesus. How many of you ladies, if you're like, hey, I'll, I'll hang out with you, but, but, but not your husband? Like, again, we're, we're a team. My, my, my husband is a part of me. And so we, where, where he goes, I go. Where, where she goes, he goes. We're a team. You can't tell Jesus, Jesus, I, this year in 2023, I want to commit my life to you one-on-one, -on -one, just me and you, Jesus, and reject the body of Christ and say you aren't a part. Because if you reject the body of Christ, you will certainly reject the world who is not a part of the body of Christ. And they will not know you're a Christian by your love that you have for one another. And you will not be on mission in community as a part of the body with the bride as we were called to be. So you bow your heads and we'll wrap this time up in a time of prayer. The church is not a building. The church does not have a steeple. It is the body and bride of Christ comprised of his people. The church is not a building, a denomination, a service, a pastor, a worship style. It's not a business. It's not a corporation. It's not an institution. It is a body. It is a bride. The church is its people. The church is the gathering of those who have been called out. The church is the assembly of those who have been assembled. The church is a gathering of those who have been sent out. The church is a joining together of those who have been filled and empowered by the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the church. Jesus loved the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is returning for the church. You should give church a chance. You may not need to go to church to be saved. You're right. Like you might say, well, I don't have to go to church to be saved. And I say, you're right. You're saved by the grace of God alone through faith in Jesus Christ. So you may not need to go to church to be saved. But if you are saved, you need the church. If you are saved, you are a part of the church. If you are saved through the church, you actually are working out and living out the salvation that you have in Christ. The purpose of this series is not to get you to be committed to free church in Salem, Oregon. The purpose of this message is to help you recognize as a Christian, you are a part of the church and you need the church as a whole. And whether it is this local church or dozens of others in this city, which I would recommend with flying colors, you need to get plugged in.
you need each other. You need to be connected. And if you've been gone for years, for decades, for months, we don't care. It's okay to come home. You're welcome home. This is your home too. Because we're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. This because people are here as the house of God. And Jesus said, his father's house would be a house of prayer. So we, we gather weekly to pray. We gather weekly to sing. We gather weekly to learn. We gather weekly to be sent out again on mission, again and again and again. So church is not somewhere you go to. Church is what you are. And because you are the church, please be the church and see this as just a huddle. That's all this is. This is just a huddle before you're sent out because the real church, that happens on Monday. The real church happens on Thursday. The real church happens on Saturday. This is just, the, uh, this is just like the cherry on top. This is the huddle. And if we stayed here all week, no work would get done. So we join here together on the first day of the week so work can be done the rest of the week. And if you'd say with no one looking around, Pastor, um, I came into church thinking all sorts of things about church, but regardless of church, I don't know Jesus, and I want to know Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus Christ knows you. He knows you. He loves you, despite what he knew you would do. He was sent, and he lived his life in the flesh for me and for you, a life you and I could never live, a perfect life of obedience to his Father. He did it in our place. And to take our place for our punishment, for the wrath of God, for our sins, Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, died for our sins as he became sin itself and suffered the consequence for our sins, placed on him through the wrath of his father as he died and suffered on the cross. He took our place. So Jesus loves you, he knows you, he came for you, he died for you, and thanks be to God, that's not where it stops. He rose from the grave, defeating Satan, defeating sin, defeating hell, defeating death itself. And so through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I promise you with all my heart that your sins can be forgiven, all of them past, present, future. Your relationship with God can be restored. The Spirit of God can dwell within you. It's amazing. And as a bonus, you receive everlasting life with Christ. And I, I tell you what, I don't deserve that. But that's why we call it grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So God pours out his love for us as a gift of grace. And we receive the grace of God through faith. And faith is trust. Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you are who you said you are, that you did what you did, that your life, death, and resurrection, it was for me, and I receive it, and I trust in you, and I turn away from my old life, and instead I choose your life. And I choose to follow you. I choose to repent of sin and to allow your spirit to move and lead my life so that I can live a life worthy of my so the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. 
In the words of Jesus himself, as he tells you his love for you, he says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That's him. That whosoever believes in me, that's Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I just invite you today, receive the salvation of Jesus Christ in your life by putting trust in him. And if you might say, well, I, I don't have my act together. I don't have my stuff figured out. I don't know everything. I don't have the answers to all my questions. Welcome to the club. That's called the church. I don't either. But what I do know is that Jesus is all I've got. What I do know is without Jesus, I have nothing. He's the only where, the only place, the only one to go to. And so to cry out in faith to Jesus, if you had to put it to just one word, it would just be help. God, help me. God, save me. I give you my life, Jesus. Without anyone looking around, just I'd like to just make connection with you real briefly, not publicly, but if you could just raise your hand as high as you can, put it right back down. If you say, Pastor, that's me today. I want to choose a relationship with Jesus. Anybody at all say, that's me. Just raise your hand. I'd just love to celebrate with you, pray for you throughout this week. I choose Jesus. This new year, I choose him. I want to surrender my life to him. I want relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm turning from the old, and I'm walking towards the new in Christ. For those who say, I've done that. I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but I, I really need to take steps this year to, to be the church, and I need to find a local church that I could choose to get connected in so I can be a part of the body. I just encourage you, do that. Do that. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be messed up people there. You're going to fit right in. Jump in. It's okay. The same grace that saves us is the grace that sustains us in the church as we do this thing together, as we are a part of the church. Ryan's going to lead us in a closing song. And as he does, uh, we have the joy and honor today to um, baptize two people who have confessed Jesus as Lord. If you remember, when Jesus sends us out, he says, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism does not save you. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. It's not magic. It doesn't make you a member of a church. Baptism, like a wedding ring... Like my wedding ring does not make me married. It just says and shows that I am married. Being baptized in water does not make you a Christian. It is the way that God has chosen for us to publicly declare before our loved ones and before the church that we are Christians. It is a way, like a marriage ceremony, to say I am a part of the body of Christ. I make this commitment publicly before friends, family, church, and God. So when we go under the water, it represents the death and burial of Jesus. It represents our old way of sin, now dead in Christ. And when we are raised from the water, it represents the resurrection of Jesus by which we are raised to a new life in and with him. And as we come out of the water, it also represents a washing away of sins that already has taken place through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So this is just a celebration of what's already happened. And so here at Free Church, um, we do baptisms a little different. We don't have people make a video or grab a microphone. This is, 
This is between God and the church and family and friends. And so as we worship and celebrate, we baptize. And so I just ask you, as we sing this song, until the baptisms are completed, we have two scheduled. If you could just remain seated as you sing. And as the baptisms are done, you can just stand and celebrate as as we wrap up the song. And Elaine will come and dismiss you here in just a moment. I want to invite you back next week. We're going to continue continue this series and talk a little bit more about the value of what it means to be in a church community and what that can look like in your life. And we're going to continue in worship. And we'll do baptisms again on Easter Sunday. If you'd like to be baptized, that's April the 9th. Um, We'd love to celebrate with you your faith in Jesus Christ. And what a great day to do that on Easter. So God, thank you for this word we've heard. Thank you for the worship we are engaging in now and the baptisms we're about to celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. You said